to another BM pod. I'm Paul Rose and I'm here with my dear wife, Sanya. Hello, Sanya. Oh, hi. Greetings. I've just been talking to you for all morning. <laughs> it's like, why don't people do that? Hi, how are you? It's like we, we live oh, together. Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? I haven't seen you in ages. Yeah. Well, you haven't seen me for the last hour and a half or so because I've been chatting to Lucy Jordash, the manager of Marillion. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I could hear you from the other room when I didn't have headphones on. Were you listening? Were you eavesdropping? No, I had headphones on. I couldn't hear anything. No. I did hear the beginning when you were trying to figure out the tech and it wasn't working. Oh, yeah. We had a little bit of an issue with our usual uh, our usual podcast interview recording website thing. Uh, and then I decided to switch over to Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had a little bit more of a problem because I'd somehow un- accidentally unplugged my headphones. <laughs> I couldn't hear. Her. Oh, dear. oh um, dear! But I heard lots of laughing and chatting. So, well, she's a she's she's a brilliant, brilliant interview subject. Interviewee. Am I not allowed to say was... subject? No, you are. But why say interview subject, subject does... when one word will suffice? Subject does sound a little bit scientific like i'm experimenting it does uh all right she's a very good interviewee because she's fantastically honest as anyone who's ever engaged with her online or meta will know she is not afraid of calling a spade a spade uh and she will give it to you direct and she really did and yes i did ask the question about be hard on yourself although i did ask it in a really roundabout uh pussyfoot way and she immediately called out my bullshit <laughs> said to me what you're trying to ask me is she yeah you can't pull the wall over her eyes she absolutely knows uh when someone's bullshitting her right so i asked the question um how she responded well you'll have to listen in tune in listeners tune in listeners it was genuinely there was some proper hour before it's dark scoops this week and I'm going to stop waffling because you're going to want to hear them. Talk to you on the other side, you crazy cats. Meow. Stupid. Oh, okay. I've uh, I've hit record just so that we don't lose anything. No, that's fine. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, that's all good. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. That was, um, <laughs> believe it or not, that wasn't the biggest faff we've had. John Arneson was um, was hell. <laughs> Came in. Um, I'm not sure he'd ever used a computer before. So. No, I use Zoom all the time, so I knew it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet you do. All right, well, let's, uh, let, well, how are you? Are you all right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know is the answer to that one. Yeah, we're all a bit like that, aren't we, at the moment? Mm. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's let's just jump into it, as I've already wasted 15 minutes of your time. So um, Don't worry about it. All right, cool. So um, what are you doing at the moment? What, what, how busy are you and what's the, what are the main things you're working on? Well, I'm very busy and it's all um, just nonsense because it's, it, it's trying to get things done right and I'm just suffering from that if you want it done right do it yourself syndrome at the moment because everything just seems to be just going wrong (laughs) is that because of covid or just um yes (laughs) yes because the thing is Paul my job and what I'm really good at is planning right yep and I can't plan. Am I allowed to swear, by the way? Oh, God, we swear like troopers, do it. Uh. Thank God, because I really do swear like a trooper and I can't help myself sometimes. Um, no, everything I'm planning, I have to have a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, you know, yeah. and I don't work like that. Normally I make a plan and I have a backup and that's it. Yeah. And I have changed plans so many friggin' times that it, it it's, you know, and it's just, I know it's the same, it's the same for everybody. You know, people make plans to come to a concert and then they can't because yeah. travel restrictions change and stuff. And it's just, everything just feels really just 
a bummer right now, especially in England, because everyone's like, oh, you know, the pandemic's over. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, it's really not if you don't have insurance. It's really yeah. not if the fans are still, a lot of the fans are still concerned about coming to gigs because they don't want to get COVID and da 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 And everything's just, ah. Oh. Yeah. I, I, well, I hear, I mean, I went to, um, I went to see Genesis the first night of their tour and then look what happened at the end of their tour. <laughs> you know, um, they never made it. I know. And it's just so... It's so frustrating. It's like the band are in the studio every day and they're rehearsing their little butts off and they just really want to get out there and play. Yeah, yeah. And then every day I'm saying to them, oh, here's some bad news. Oh, here's some more bad news. And, and it's, just, it's just like we don't know what we're supposed to do. Um, yeah. And they're, they're all like, yeah, we're going to be out on tour. And then it's like, oh, well, we've got to hide away. And, and they like, they like, you know, being on tour. They haven't been on tour for two years. They like being on tour. They like having fun on tour. And this tour, to be fair, for them, isn't, apart from being on stage, the rest of it is not going to be any fun. <laughs> it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because when that tour was announced and you, you gave it that name, like at the end of the tunnel, we were all kind of, yeah, it'll all be done by then. It's going to be this, right? this big celebration. And I think we're all, we're all still feeling, oh, it's, um, you know, it's like my daughter, one of my kids has got COVID at the moment. And you just think, oh, wasn't it meant to be done by now? Yeah. I remember years ago, I, I, um, I came to Racket to help the web pack up. Uh, some of the magazines and it was around the time of I think it was just before somewhere else had come out and I remember seeing on a board you had like a kind of almost two three year four year plan of you know when happiness is the road was going to come out and and so on and I was going to ask well how how far ahead are you able to plan really at the moment but I guess you've answered that in that you can't I've planned till the end of 2023 I have planned whether (laughs) (laughs) whether we can do any of it is another question. Um, But, you know, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just keep trying. We'll just keep going on because, you know, it, it will end. And the thing is, you know, for most people who are vaccinated, COVID is, is, is 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 a you know is like any flu or a heavy cold or da-da for most people it's just that scary thing of oh, am i going to be one of the ones that gets really sick you know because because otherwise i think we'd all be just going ah just you know yeah i mean i i, mean, I had it uh, back in back in may and it was grim but i'm kind of I've so missed going out and socialising and just doing stuff that I'm, you know, I'm masked up. I'll take the risk. I'll have it again. It's fine. You know, it's like... Yeah, and to be honest, I think as soon as the tour's over, I think that's what I'll be like and I think that's what everyone in the band will be like. Our problem, as you know, and why we had to do the Lightsavers initiative was because because of the law, the law that says you have to self-isolate and, and the moral law, I suppose. But, you know, if, if it wasn't law, the bat, you know, the saying in show business is the show must go on. Yeah. And every single member of Marillion has played a gig when they've been ill, when yeah. they've just had an operation, whether they're full of flu or everyone has... and you know, hopefully because they're double vaccinated, all of them, and two of them are triple vaccinated now, um, the other three aren't quite ready yet. Um, But, you know, they would do the show, even if they were feeling grotty, because the show must go on. But it's the fact that they're not allowed to by law. And that's what's been so annoying in all of this, because it's like for the last three or four weeks, we haven't you know, we were all supposed to go to the Steve Hackett gig at Aylesbury and we all decided not to go because we didn't want to risk getting ill. So I suppose when when the tour's done, I think we'll all be licking pavements and kissing <laughs> each other and kissing strangers in the streets because we'll just be like, well, it doesn't matter if we get it now, you know. Yeah, it's like, go for it. 
yeah, crack get... on and crack on and test the damn vaccine. Um, but it's when you're told by law that you can't go and do your job. What was the point of which? I mean, did you sort of sit down and have a crisis meeting that sort of led to lightsavers? Was there a point where you went, shit, we could be in trouble? If No, the, the, I'd been saying to them all for weeks, um, by the way, is my squeaky chair annoying you? That's fine. <laughs> it adds a bit of atmosphere, character. It's, it's annoying me. Um, no, uh, what had been, uh, this is honestly what happened. I'd been telling them for weeks, if not months, look, you're all going to have to be careful on tour, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'd, uh, and because otherwise we'll lose a lot of money. Da, 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 da. And then I was asking them all for their guest list because some of the gigs uh, only had like really crappy seats left and we'd held back quite a lot of seats for guests and stuff, production seats. And I was being hassled um i was being hassled by the promoter to to release some of the seats for sale so i said oh tell me a guest list and, th- and they started coming back with these huge guest lists oh, and God. i and i just wrote back and said which part of you're going to have to be really careful on tour haven't i made quite clear um you know it, it, it's like you you can't have people backstage oh really so i said okay let let's have a a meeting Mm-hmm. and I called them all in for a meeting and the night before I was sitting there and Ian said to me um just for anyone listening to this that doesn't know I happen to be married to the drama of Marillion as well <laughs> yes, yes and sometimes we talk business mostly we don't because it annoys me um but he said how much money would we lose? And I said, well, this is what I'm going to say to everyone tomorrow. It's 150 grand. Mm. And he went pale and started, I mean, he just, his reaction was just, he, he was really panicking. And I said, okay. So I, I went upstairs and I had a bath and I have my best, I either have my ideas in the bath or I'm lying on a sun lounger. Well, obviously the weather's <laughs> at the moment. And I was in the bath and I just thought, of the idea of lightsabers. And I just thought, hmm. So I phoned my best friend, George, who, who wrote Ian's book. And I phoned her and I said, look, I've got this crazy idea. Can I run it past you and see what you think? Can help me get it out of my brain because I can't quite put it into words. And, I, and she speaks Lucy fluently. Right. And she got the idea out of my head. And I was like, that's going to work, isn't it? That's going to work. So I had the meeting the next day with the band. And I said, right, okay, here's the situation. If we have to cancel the tour, you're going to lose 150 grand. They all went, oh, yeah. And I said, okay, here's my solution. And I, I told it to them. And it was literally verbatim of, of what we did. And they all went, yep. We love it. That's genius. Let's do it. And then, yeah, just spent a few days thinking of what we could give people in return and writing the, you know, message to the fans and stuff. And and that's what happened. And and it's a lovely, I mean, obviously if, if the tour, oh, and then of course, you know, Genesis cancelled. So it was like, oh my God, this is real. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, it's a lovely fallback to have. We obviously would still you know, but it, we wouldn't get the money from any gigs that we hadn't done, you know, so if it did happen on the first day of the tour, you know, we, we wouldn't get paid, but we also then wouldn't have to pay the 150 grand as well. Yeah. It's all very well not getting paid, you know, you just go, oh, I haven't been paid, um, but to then have to, well, you know, impossible yeah. to find 150 grand. So, um so that's that's how that's how and why that happened. But God, I I can't wait until the twenty seventh of November when I can just refund everybody. Yeah, I bet we don't really don't want it. We really really don't want it. But, but what was what was really clever about it is it was it was like the you know when anomagnophobia happened and the, the crowdfunding with that is it becomes its own form of marketing because then you get press out of it as well uh so it sort of had a knock-on effect well that's exactly i mean you know without sounding like a marketing 
slut. But, you know, I said to the band, it's a win-win. We've got absolutely nothing to lose and we'll get some press out of it. I said, we won't get a lot because we're Marillion and, and the press don't cover us. You know, if it was Radiohead, it'd be like, look at this fantastic idea Radiohead had. But we got enough. We got enough press. We got a, a load of really good press. Um, and you know so so it, it did it it's done what we wanted it to do i mean we're only about ten thousand short i think we've raised about one hundred and forty thousand. people are still pledging which is lovely That's um great. yeah really great got about one hundred and forty thousand, and we got some press out of it and it's just it's just and what it really did as well um is solidified to the band how serious they had to be on tour you know, um, not that they were thinking it was a joke, but, you know, everyone has suffered from it, haven't they? And we've all gone, oh, the pandemic's going away now, you know, and then yeah. when you actually realise that the law says you can't just, the show must go on, you actually have to, you know, it's it's made everyone realise and now, you know, we're on it. Yeah. And that's all good. All good, win-win. Uh, so, well, let's, let's go back a bit. Um, you were originally a, a Marillion fan before you became, well... I still am. You still are. Well, that's good to hear that they haven't beaten it out of you yet. They try. They try. <laughs> I yes, I, I, I was a Marillion fan. I, I discovered them in, I think, 1983. Um, and yes, I was a, was a, a big Marillion fan. Yes. And you did the gigs and bought the albums and the, 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 the works. Uh, I did. I did. I, 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 oh, I think something like with Fish, I saw them about 20 times. I went to every single sort of London gig and, um, yeah, I saw them a lot. I used to have to sort of pay for tickets for my friends so that they would come with me because I was the only Marillion fan in my village. <laughs> Little Britain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you still have moments where you, or is that long gone, where you kind of go, this is weird, I'm working for them, I'm married to one of them, you know, when you were that big a fan? Um, no, only when um, only when I look back at sort of old photographs. I found this photograph the other day of my bedroom at home and it was a poster of Marillion on the wall. Wow. And I was like, oh. And then um, we had sort of a, a, a school reunion a couple of years ago and people were like, oh, what are you doing now? And I'm like, oh, I'll manage a band. You know, oh, what band? Oh, uh, Marillion. Oh, my God, you loved them at time. <laughs> so are you married? And then they said, you know, are you married? Yeah. Yeah. What's your husband do? Oh, and you really, I, I never want to say, oh, he's the drummer of Marillion because then it sounds like that's how I got the job and that's not how I got the job, you know. I, I remember uh, I, once, I once had a drink with Stephen Moffat who used to write for Doctor Who and he was talking about how, you know, imagine, you know, it's embarrassing enough when you take a girl home and you've got loads of Doctor Who DVDs on the shelves. Now imagine that if you're also Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah now i was a fan and then shall i preempt your next question and then oh, go you. on yeah do it i went to work at emi records because i'd always wanted to work in the music business and then while i was at emi records working with robbie williams and coldplay and blur obviously marillion's back catalog was there and they said um, in a meeting, they and I was really junior at the time, and they said, oh, we're going to remaster Marillion's back catalogue. And I said, I put my hand up and I said, hello, could I do it? And they're like, you know, who are you? Because nice. <laughs> this was a big meeting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, can I do it? Huge fan. They're like, yeah, you can do it. And I was so excited. And... Yeah. I worked really, really hard on the remasters, and and I it it really helped my career because I got um I got promoted like three times while I was at EMI because of the work I was doing with Marillion, and 
and all, all the other artists, you know, I work with David Bowie and Deep Purple and stuff and on all their remasters. And, and then I ended up, you know, working full time in the cafe. Because I, when, I, when I started work there, it was just in the trade marketing department. And then I got, you know, promoted to work in the catalogue department. And by the end of it, you know, I was... Um, what was I, junior marketing manager or something when right. I left DMI. Um, but yeah, that's I literally was me sticking my hand up going, well, can I work on Brilliant? Because nobody else had volunteered. Right. If you don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> Everyone at EMI was like, oh, I don't want to do it. Uh, can I do it? I'll do it. You don't know me. I'm really junior and I don't even work in your department, but I'll do it because I love <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. And, you know, that's how I met them and... Uh, history what was the process of going through kind of their i don't know demos and stuff for the the remasters because i mean obviously you found almost an album's worth of music from the post clutching at straws and it was so exciting it was so exciting because you know i was a fan and it was just like oh my god i get to hear all this stuff that I didn't know about, you know, because that was obviously before the internet and so all this stuff wasn't available, you know, like it is now. And it was just brilliant. I remember the, the thing I was most proud of was um, finding oh, on the Afraid of Sunlight remaster. The, is it the acoustic? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I got a production credit on that because basically I found this, I don't know, it was about 20 minutes that H was just playing that song and trying to make it into a song. Wow. And I went to Abbey Road with Peter Mew and I said, let's try and edit this into a song. And the two of us spent about six hours on it and we edited it into a song. And I sent it to Steve and he didn't want it to go on the album. He And then I said to him, I said, look, I just think this is absolutely beautiful. And... I'd really like you to reconsider. Um, I think the fans would really, really love it. And I'm saying this as a fan. And, da, 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 da. and I talked him into letting, letting us use it. And nice. uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. I was so proud of that to make a song, make a Marillion song that sort of didn't exist. Uh, I love it. I love that version. It's, uh, I didn't realise it was pieced together like that. I just thought it was a take that he'd done. Wow. No, it was him alone in the studio. Like everyone else had gone home and it was like midnight or something. And he, it literally was just like a 20 minute take and it was all sort of little bits. He kept stopping and starting and we just edited it together. And yeah, I love it. Day one, working for the band. Uh, what were your priorities on that first day? What did you see as, or what did they tell you they needed you to do? What did you kind of go, this is what I think we should do? Well, what they said to me was when I was at EMI, they said, will you, they said, will you come and manage us? And I said, well, I, I've not really been a manager. And they said, oh no, come and manage us. And I, I said, well, what can I think about it? And they said, yes. And then they, they um, hired hired that's not the word but I'll use it anyway they hired Rod Smallwood as their manager and I was like oh well yeah fair enough and then obviously that all went tits up couldn't see that coming a mile off (laughs) (laughs) and really oh yeah Iron Maiden and Marillion have so much in common yeah yeah so they came back to me and they said will you come and manage us and I said well I don't you co-manage us sorry I was co-manager then they said, we come and co-manage us. And I said, what, what do you want me to do? And they said, we don't know. We just want someone to kind of look after us, but we want to look after ourselves too because we've been stung too many times and you can do whatever you want. And I was, I'd been commuting into London every day for 11 years and I'd had enough of it. And I just thought, well, this would be a change of pace. Yeah, let's, uh, and it's my favourite band in the world, you know. So, yeah, let's give this... Um, Let's give this a go. So, um, so I went in with with no structure, with no plan. It was kind of do what you want. Um, and I just, I my I knew Marillion had a big fan base because I was one of them, and the internet was new. But there was still there'd been the freaks list and everything, and I just my priority first was to kind of. Um, 
utilize the fan base and and make it a thing and uh sort of in in the first few months i know that there were fans in different parts of the country that were getting together and they called themselves like the cambridge freaks or the um or the bristol freaks and there was all these groups of people that had started meeting anyway so i was kind of like let so I, I did this thing around the country where I went to, I went everywhere. I went to Scotland, I went everywhere. And I went into a pub and just put a little note out on the fledgling internet and said, who wants to meet me and tell me their ideas of what they'd like to see Marillion sell, what they'd like to see Marillion do and all this kind of stuff. And, and it sort of just, you know, it grew from there really. Yeah. Well, that was the time. I mean, for, for me that it felt and I suppose at the time I didn't join the dots but it felt like they'd turned a corner in terms of messaging so I mean how much of that was down to them kind of going you know because they felt like with the the pre-order for Animat that they had a sort of new kind of hunger I guess yeah the pre-order for Anorak I suppose that was Mark's Mark Kelly's idea and I said to him I've only just left EMI. Why don't we try and do this with EMI? Because I know all the people there. Yeah. You know, so that's why we had sort of the pre-order and the retail release all at the same time. And it was a sort of big thing. Um, it's always been this way that we have always worked as a team. Sort of the last few years... Uh, I've come up with a, a lot of ideas and stuff um, and, and I'm not taking control. That's not the word. I think it took them many years, like many years, to trust in that I, not me, but someone had their best interests. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why, I, I you know, it was about, I don't know, 10 years ago, I I'm not the co-manager anymore. They call me their manager, you right. know. But even now, I won't do anything without, well, most things I won't run past, I, I, I will still run past them, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they'll come to me with an idea. They'll say, what about we do this? And I, And when I look at it, if I say yes, they trust me. If I say no they trust me. Um, gotcha. So it's kind of like, we always have been a team, you know, Rich and, and, and Mark and Stephanie, you know, and Mike Hunter, you know, we all, we're all part of it. And we all, we all butt in with our suggestions and stuff. And we're generally usually all on the same page. It's funny. You should say happiness is the road. That's the one thing I totally disagreed with the band about. Um, that's when Eric was still working for us. I did not want to release that to that torrent site. And I did not want to do that. I told them I didn't want to do it, but they all decided they wanted to. So I had to, you know, I had to run it, but I didn't want to do it. I didn't think it was, it was the right thing for us to do. But, and, but to be honest, I think that's the only occasion where we've completely disagreed. Right, right. So, I mean, it's noticeable, particularly, I mean, I suppose it does coincide with the last 10 years, that it feels like the band, I guess, with you at the helm, really kind of have got it very clear of what the kind of, the approach is for Marillion. Whereas prior to that, it felt like they you were all trying sort of very different things and experimenting and going, will this work? Will that work? Whereas it feels like it's now you've kind of settled into a nice rhythm with it all. Yeah, but I think we still like to experiment. Um, like when we did the couch convention last year and stuff yeah. and, and you know lightsabers I think we like to experiment but I think everybody knows what our fan base is I think at, like at the beginning we we were trying to tra- chase constantly a new audience yeah and 
what has happened is organically we've actually got a new audience i mean i know a lot of you know the majority of the meridian fans are we're all mature shall we say um but if you go to the concerts and look around there are younger people and it's so funny when they post on facebook or whatever i i i literally dive in there and go how did you find us tell me you know what, yeah. what is the miracle uh, you know how does how can i take this and bottle it um but i think in the early 2000s we spent a lot of time chasing that and and we shouldn't have but in retrospect you know we were just finding finding our way um Whereas now, you know, we, we've, we've kept the fan base, you know, which is nice. So why, why chase the 20 year olds um, and the 20 year olds haven't got any money? But let's go for the middle-aged people that have <laughs> got the money. While you sort of talk about that, how does that, how much of a consideration is uh, to their fan base is there when they're writing music? None. None at all. None. None. No, they're okay. absolutely right what they want to write, how they want to write it, when they want to write it. Because I'll only ask, because, by the way, I love Be Hard On Yourself. Uh, oh, it's, my God, it's the best thing ever. My first reaction was, oh, well, that sounds like Meridian in a good way. You know, and now it's sort of, and more I've listened to it, it's sort of opened itself up as, oh, it's its own thing as well. And But it feels, um, I don't want to say this, uh, uh, this to come across as the wrong way, but it, it doesn't feel like it scares the horses in, it's not hope for the future, for instance, which I like, by the way, but... Um, no. No, no, no. So, it, but is there a, a, the process of sort of choosing the songs to go on an album? Do they kind of think of it with a view to uh, kind of how it goes down? Never. Honestly, never. I, 21 years, I, Jesus Christ, sorry. <laughs> 21 years I have worked for them now. That is so ridiculous. But 21 years and they have never, ever considered if people will like it or not. They just, it's whether they like it. Okay, well, I mean, because everything since, basically for me, everything since Marbles, no, Anorak, really, I've kind of gone, this is great. They've they've got their identity again now. And uh, and I think particularly the last three albums, I mean, they're, they're three of my favourite Marillion albums ever. And, and it just feels like they kind of know who they are. So maybe, would you say it's more that, that they kind of are com- more confident in their own identity or? I, no, you'd have to ask them that. Right. Because I, I don't know, but I, I know I know what I see from the outside and they just want to write songs that they want to write. You're a Star Wars fan, right? If each member of the band was a Star Wars character, which Star Wars <laughs> character would they be? I can't answer that. <laughs> I can't answer that because I'll get fired. Oh, <laughs> Darth Vader wouldn't fire me. Uh, Darth Vader is. <laughs> Darth Vader is. A... No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I'll tell you all there. Okay, brilliant. All right, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> all right. Good question. Um, all right, so Marillion weekends because we're we're about to cover those on the podcast. Was that was that your idea? Am I right in thinking that it? Me, yeah. Um, Andy Rotherham, who was in the Web UK then, yeah. had told me he knew that I I loved and curated all the fan meetings around the country, and I'd spoken to Andy and I'd said I want, you know, we the fan thing is fantastic and we need to find a way to get everyone together. And he said, Well, my favorite, my other favorite band, the Stranglers, are doing this fan weekend. <laughs> down at Pontins um, and maybe I should go and check that out. And I said, well, okay, we'll pay. We'll pay for your ticket. If you go along and check it out and give us a you know, response when you get back. Um, and he came back and said, this is what they did, um, which was very similar to what we wanted to do. And so I said, well, that sounds bloody brilliant. Thank you, Andy. And um, then I went and contacted the, the Stranglers manager and I said, look, you've run this for um, the Stranglers. Will you run it for Marillion? Um, 
because we'd not done it before and I didn't want to contact Butlins and have them say, you know, go away. We don't know who you are, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So, so this guy, his name was Sil and he, he, he ran it for us, you know, all the bookings and hiring and everything. And obviously we did that that first spam weekend at Pontins. I remember, you know, I pitched it to the band that, that we should do it. And I remember Mark Kelly saying, well, I don't think it's going to work. And if we sell more than, a thousand tickets I'll eat tripe and we did this thing you know like the blue peter thing we did it on the wall of the racket club and it was a uh one of those you know how like you have on a church fund yeah, yeah yeah and it just the thing went up and at the top of it was a picture of a bowl of tripe we sold a thousand <laughs> tickets in the first week wow. and he's never eaten the tripe he refused that's just shocking I can't shocking believe. I can't believe it was never... shocking not a man of his word um, and obviously we did that first weekend, you know, and it was Pontins and it was rancid, but it was it was a really good weekend. And then obviously from then on, we said, right, we'll do this ourselves. We don't need to pay someone 10% of our income when well, we can do it ourselves. And, and there you go, that's history. How, how important is it now to the band having those weekends in terms of sort of just keeping you afloat and... Yeah, there's two sides to it. There's the three sides, probably. There's the undeniable financial income, um, you know, which keeps us afloat. And if we hadn't, for example, if we hadn't done all the Marillion Weekends in 2019, then COVID would have completely fucked us. But we had the money in the bank from the Marillion Weekends to allow the band in 2020 to write the album rather than tour. So it, it, it's kept us hanging on, um, which is fantastic. So there's the financial side, but there's also the fact of, of being close to the fan base and, and, and putting on a, you know, that we put our heart and soul and money into putting on the best time ever for people so that people are, can escape from their real lives and have a fantastic weekend. Um, and then, you know, the third part is is that the band want to get out there and it's, it's kind of like they want to put on this great show and they actually enjoy the fact that people travel from different countries and all come together and, yeah, no, it's just, they're just amazing and we're so glad we do them. Well, we're going to continue... Uh, long after the band physically can't go on long tours and stuff anymore, they'll still be doing Marillion weekends as long as they can stand because people will come to us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than yeah. schlepping about on a tour bus. So long may they continue. So is that uh, is that something you're having to think about given the ages of the band and they're, they're not getting any younger? Kind of what the sort of long-term you know, plans are, I mean, given that we've already sort of established that we can't plan anything in, in the current climate. No, my head is totally in the sand on that. That is one thing I refuse to think about being married to the oldest member of Marillion. I refuse to think about that. Touchwood at the moment, they're all in good health. They're all strong. Um, the, the physicality of being on a tour bus and moving from venue to venue will come sooner rather than later. And that's why I said about that, because it is hard work. Sure. Um, but a Marillion weekend where you just fly somewhere, then you're there for three nights. I can see them doing that as long as they're fit and healthy and touch wood, you know, nothing happens uh, that they're able to, um, you know, H is H and Ian are probably the the ones because Ian obviously is a very physical job drumming mm -hmm. and H I I can't see him wanting to like do a Phil Collins and sit down and sing. No, you know he runs about. So I think those two are the the ones it will depend on. But touch wood, you know, we we keep talking about that when we're in meetings. We talk about the next ten years. Oh, that's nice. That's good. Yeah, which would make Ian 78, which is, you know, oh, but they can't, you know, none none of us, <laughs> none of us know what if that's a line from Be Hard On Yourself. No, it's not. It's from another song. I oh, nearly, oh, oh I, nearly, 
I nearly gave away a lyric then. Oh. None of us know how long we've got left. No, it's, okay. It's not a lyric, but it's kind of a song. Shut up, Lucy. <laughs> I, I, can I guess that it's care? Is it care? Care. Yeah. <laughs> care. Care, which, honest to God, and I don't care who's listening to this and rolling their, their eyes at this, this is Lucy the fan talking. Care is the best song Marillion have ever, ever written. Wow, musically, shit. musically, lyrically, it's perfection. And <laughs> I, it makes me cry every time I hear it, but it's got hope in it. It's, it's despairing, but it's beautiful. It's just the, I can't, literally, I said this to the band the other day, I said it's absolute perfection. I wouldn't change a thing and uh, of all the songs, uh, and this album is fucking amazing, Paul. It's, you know, and as, as I said, I've taken, I wish you could see me, I've taken off my manager hat. This is Lucy the fan talking. This album is fucking amazing, but of all the songs, I cannot wait for the fans to hear this because it's mm. perfect. I had a feeling that, and I think my other half said it to me when she heard uh, Be Hard On Yourself. She said, I love it. Or when she heard it a few times, she said, I really love this, but I've got a feeling it's not the best one on the album. There's better yet to come. I mean, it's perfect. It's the first one to release, but um, yeah. They're all, they're, they're all, they're all really great songs. Um, Reprogram the Gene is, 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 I can't use the word lovely because that sounds really sappy, but it's a lovely song. Then you've got um, Murder Machines, which is a fucking great live song. And they w wanted to play it on tour, but I said to them that they should only play one new song. Um, and we're going to release Murder Machines as a single in Ooh. February instead. And it's four and a half minutes. And it's, you, you know, and. God, I hope none of the band are listening to this, but you know and I know, Marillion and rock songs are a bit hit and miss. Well, I was, yeah, I was going to ask you about this. Sometimes they're a bit, they're all right, aren't they? And then other times you're just like, oh dear. Well, Murder Machines is a perfect pop rock song. They, they've got it right. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect. Live, it's kicking List driving in your car, which I've been doing with it on, it's kicking. It's just yes. That's because that's the thing. Because I, I think you, you know this because you probably saw or you listened. To, I know you listened to at least one of our episodes where I kind of get nervous when the band talk about things being upbeat and rocky. And do you, do you sometimes despair when they open their mouths? Because it's like now that I've heard "Be Hard on Yourself," I kind of go, "Yeah, that's upbeat and rocky," but. I don't know. It that, that they weren't technically that is what it is, but those weren't the words I would have necessarily used because it's it's just them being them. It's got a lot of energy and power. Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I go, oh, why have you said that? But I would never tell them what to say ever. I would never tell them not what to say ever. They they have to be themselves, otherwise there's no point in doing what, what we're doing. So you don't ever sort of sit down and there's a you have a sort of strategy meeting about kind of promotion and what to say and what not to say or anything like that? No, I, I tried that years ago. It doesn't work. I just let them say what they're going to say. And, you know, if, if, if one of them does say something stupid, I'll just make sure they don't say it again. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, the whole uh, H was like, you know, uh, well, they were all saying it, weren't they, in interviews. They were all going, it was all upbeat. And I'm just like, don't scare people away because yeah. normally an upbeat, brilliant song is, is can be a bit dodge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, thankfully, they have generally got better at it. They've definitely got better at it. But, you know, you say upbeat and people go, oh, most toys, no. Yeah. Um, but Murder Machines is, 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 yeah, it's like that. And then you've got, um, then you've got The Crow and the Nightingale, which, oh, fucking hell, it's, sorry about my swearing, by the way. No, go for it's, it. It's 
phenomenal. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't at the beginning, and, and they say this actually in the documentary they've just done for the pre-order for the special editions. It, it really wasn't. It was kind of like this thing, um, and then they. It suddenly just became this. I mean, Rodgers has said it's in his top three songs ever. Wow, bloody hell! <laughs> the, the guitar solos on it are just unreal. They're unreal. And it's just fabulous. And then you've got um, Sierra Leone, which is a, a kind of a story. I won't give that away. It's a it's a it's a, it's a story that H has made up um, about a man and a diamond. I think he said that in other places. Ooh, yeah. And it's 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 really again. I'm going to use the word lovely, and I think that sounds a bit sappy. But it's a it's a beautiful song. It's got it's just really really nice song um i don't know how it'll work live i think um we'll have to see but it's just glorious and then of course the album finishes with care and as i said that is a hundred percent perfect oh. so the album is really really exciting to me and the gigs oh i cannot wait to hear the whole album played from beginning to end mm. it's going to exhaust people is that and is not, that a plan for next year then to play the whole album at some point? Yeah, at the Meridian weekends. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna. Right. Yeah, we're gonna do that unless you know we haven't announced it yet. But then we haven't announced a lot of things because pe things keep changing. So, do you have a rough rough release date for the album? Is it pre Meridian weekends? Yeah, that's the thing. It should be end of February, beginning of March. Um, and that's why we haven't an, a, a announced a, a release date yet, because things bloody keep changing. You know, just when you think everything's right, suddenly there's a worldwide cardboard shortage and you can't make the fucking box yeah. that, that anything goes in and all that kind of stuff. So until we're 100%, I'm not telling people. And so, you know, we wouldn't let... It's not going to happen, but let's say worst case... And, worst 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 case scenario the album's not released till april well we don't want to play it in full at the meridian weekends necessarily then because it might be too early so that's why everything is but i think within about the next four weeks we'll know and then we'll be able to make the decision so where are you at with the album in terms of is it i'm manufacturing have you got the artwork sorted and the album, the vinyl album is being manufactured at the moment. The CD is ready and parts of the booklet and stuff are finished, should all be finished at the end of this week, beginning of next, and then that'll go into manufacture, which will take a couple of months and then all of it needs to be put together and then sent over to England from Germany and then it, we need to sit in a warehouse for a week and sign all the stuff that was sold signed. God help you. <laughs> there was a lot of people wanted to buy the signed stuff this time. Mm. Um, more than more than the last album we sold way more signed copies so we've got to do that. So but everything is on everything is on track if we can get the artwork finished this week. Um, you saw the part of the artwork for um, Be Hard On Yourself. Yeah, which I loved. I really loved it. Well, the rest of the artwork is in is in that kind of frame. And later this week, we're going to show everyone the album cover. Um, and, yeah, so it's all coming together and it's all starting to roll. But it, as, I said, it, as I said at the very beginning of this, everything is really annoying because... I normally I like to have my dates and I like to stick to them and everything keeps changing. So it's you know, um it was like Be Hard on Yourself was supposed to come out on the first. Yeah. Well we suddenly thought with the lyrical content and COP twenty six, maybe we should release it on the Friday. Ah, that's why. I did wonder because I thought, oh God, this is this is good timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we thought we should release it on the Friday and um, and, and also we knew Porcupine Tree were going to be making their announcement on on the Monday as well and we thought well let's not confuse the issue let's go with the Friday so we suddenly had to move all that 
Um, and it's just really annoying when you have all your fat plans in place and then you have to move it all, but for good reason. But, you know, I like to make a plan and stick to it. Mm. So talking be hard on yourself, going into kind of promotion and stuff for the new album, is H, I mean, all the band as a whole, kind of going to be able to, if they're asked the question, how are they hard on themselves? Are you going to be able to kind of answer that in a way that that doesn't kind of... I don't know, open up problems. What you're trying to say is that people are all over the internet saying, oh, I'm not going to listen to any politician or any mm. hypocritical person that gets on a plane telling me how to live my life. Look at Leonardo DiCaprio. Blah, 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 blah. That's kind of what you're trying to say, isn't it? Yeah, because I noticed on the forum, everyone's unanimously, it's an amazing song, but... That's, well, my initial response is that's none of your fucking business. That's very true. <laughs> sorry that's true but the second thing is what H is trying to say and has been saying let's face it for 30 years he's not jumping on a bloody bandwagon about climate change and if anyone says he's jumping on a bandwagon they can shove it up their arse because he's not jumping on a bandwagon Um, but in terms of the environment we all do what we can (laughs) Um, and we've all, you know, everyone has to do what they can. Uh, but at the end of the day, we all know it's the governments that have to make the big, hard decisions. Yeah. Us little people doing a bit of recycling or taking two less flights a year is actually not going to make that much difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in terms of, you know, H's carbon footprint is not, if you're talking about H himself, H's carbon footprint is not massive. No. But no, he's not going to sell his car and start cycling to the rocket <laughs> club. You know, and anyone who thinks that can fuck right off. And I, sorry, you really got me ranting here. No, no, go for it. Well, it was like, you know, with fear. When people, oh, I don't want you talking about politics. Why not? Well, Marillion always has as well, you know, since... since- 1983. <laughs> but why isn't why isn't a musician allowed to comment on politics? They are a human being, and if you, Paul Rose, sitting in your house, can comment on politics, why isn't a musician allowed to comment on politics? Yeah. So therefore, Paul Rose might be doing a lot of recycling and taking a couple less flights, um, and talking about climate change. Why why are you allowed to do it? And an H isn't. He's not preaching none of the lyrics are preaching i saw someone today on marillion and fans say oh i think h is being all preachy which part of be hard on yourself is preachy he's saying he's saying we we not you know i know it's be hard on yourself but he's saying this is what we're we as a species are going to have to do we're all going to have to do something. And, you know, um, I, I love that line, um, do it now, we haven't got long. Till the end of the song. Oh. <laughs> Till the end of this song is brilliant because it, the, the, that bit has two meanings. It's kind of like we haven't got long to the end of this song. Um, it's kind of like, which is like, yay! You know, it's yeah. like, the corny but brilliant side, but then there's also the, the deeper side of we haven't got long to the end of this song, meaning that, you know, the, the song of the, 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 the thing that people keep saying, climate change, climate change, climate change. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it's not real, not man-made, it's, you know, just happens. But it's like wearing a mask and people go, I don't want to wear a mask, it only is 11%. Well, isn't 11% better than nothing? Yeah. Shouldn't we just wear a mask because it gives you 11% protection and 11% protection to the people around you, let's do it. Yeah. Well, it's the same. If climate change, let's say, let's say in 10 years' time we find out actually, which is would be bollocks, but it, it's not man-made at all, this climate change crisis. It is all nature. Well, if it's going to happen by nature or by man, shouldn't we be trying to do something to slow it down or stop it? Yeah. Yes, we should. So it doesn't actually matter. So stop being a Muppet. Yeah, it baffles me that things like COVID and this have now become political issues. It's just like, what's going on? 
Um, oh, I can't. And don't even start me on Brexit because that's oh, going to be our next the next drama. Oh, Lordy, we'll save that for the next interview. They're looking at all the stuff for next year and all the... But anyway, blah, blah. Lordy, Lordy. Um, all right. Well, last question. I'll keep it. I'll, I'll, I'll throw you a softball one after that one. <laughs> Sorry. All right. What are the uh, pros and cons of being married to a member of the band? Uh, <laughs> that says it all, really. There's no pros. <laughs> all... <laughs> I mean that. There isn't a pro. I don't get into a gig because I'm married to the drummer. I get into a gig because I'm the manager of the band. But the cons would be um, that it's taken us a long time and he's still not perfect at not talking to me about work when I don't want to talk about work. We'll watch the telly, and then after we've watched telly, before we go to bed, we go in the conservatory to have a fag. So we sit in the conservatory, and I'll be looking at Facebook, looking at pictures of, you know, dogs falling off of things. (laughs) and, And Ian will be reading... Marillion and fans or reading his email and he'll go oh Steve H has just emailed and he's really cross about such and such you know 11 o'clock at night Mm. and then he goes right I'm going to bed now and then I just lie there tossing and turning go oh no oh no and then he's as I said he's reading Marillion and fans and he'll go oh the fans are really upset about this or that and I'm like will you stop reading a, you shouldn't be on Marillion of Fans anyway because you don't know how to read the fan base because you're just listening to the ones that are shouting louder than anybody else yeah. and not seeing the bigger picture. And B, don't do it at 11 o'clock at night and fucking wind me up. <laughs> um, so, so that's the only, that's the only con um, in being married to a member of Marillion. And as I said, there's no pros because... <laughs> because oh, God, just cons. <laughs> just with no. There's no... No. <laughs> Free merch. I don't know. No, you're the manager. You get that anyway. Free merch. <laughs> get the man- I'm the manager. See what I mean? There yeah. is... See what I mean? There isn't yeah. any pro. As I said, I don't get into a geek because I'm married. To, to Ian, you know. <laughs> so I'm not going backstage at any gigs this tour, boo. Which ones are you going to? Are you. I'm going to go to Edinburgh and Bath and the two London ones. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm at both the London ones and I wanted to do Hull because my daughter's moved nearby, but I left it too late. So uh, we'll be uh, we'll be at London. Yeah, should be really good, um, I hope, if people stop selling their tickets. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, there was a lot of um, a, there was a lot of like with the Royal Albert Hall, a lot of travelling fans were coming in for both nights of London, and obviously with the COVID restrictions from the appropriate countries, people just don't want to do it, yeah. which I totally understand. But it just means there's going to be quite a few gaps, but it means we can all spread out more and have a really good time. So it'll be the people that are there. We're going to have a cracking, cracking time. for that that uh as i say was um brilliantly honest very funny and uh it's a good interview wasn't it sandia you haven't heard it yet i can't <laughs> wait to hear you? it you haven't heard it i'm i can't wait to hear it so i'm gonna stop talking so you can edit edit it and then i might be able to listen to it tomorrow yes uh honestly she did a brilliant job of getting me very hyped for the album i can tell you you came out of the interview with like this huge ear to ear grin. Yeah. Fully excited, bouncing around like a little kid. I've got a good feeling about it. Um I got a good feeling about the album that You're all so those, happy. Like you're actually beaming. Yeah, all you're, those worries. You are beaming and radiant. Yeah, all those worries I had about it being, you know, rocky in a crap way. I've got a feeling it'll be just fine. Just a feeling I've got. All right, uh, well, that's us for this week. Next week, don't know what we're doing. We'll just wing it. 
Aren't we doing anorexophobia? Um, oh, yeah. Transatlantic. Got, no, no. Did I just say, aren't we doing anorexophobia? Well, we've got. I a, literally just said that. We've got to mop up a few loose ends on anorexophobia. Oh, yes. Including some letters yes, that we got, didn't get to. Yeah. And we've got some B sides to talk about and things. Uh, oh, which I need to listen to. Well, they're not technically B sides. Okay, like, you can single. only listen to them on YouTube, can't you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's anywhere else. You can't stream number one. Or the Mark Kelly remix of Between You and Me. Great name for a podcast. Are we doing that first or Transatlantic first? I don't know. This is why I said we'll wing it. Everyone, it's it's potluck. We'll see see what you get next week. But you know it's going to be worth listening to because Beampod always is. Right, go tell people about us. Uh, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Uh, and thank you once again to Lucy who gave me an hour and a half of her time once all the technical issues had been uh, added into the into the the overall recording, uh, it was genuinely brilliant. I really enjoyed it, and uh, an hour before it starts, going to be really bloody good. Everyone, I'm telling you this now. Just saying, just saying what you think. Just saying. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.